morning, everyone. If you want to turn with me to um, Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 and 3. We'll just read this passage together. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and the deep darkness the people. But the Lord will rise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Arise, shine, for your light has come. What a fantastic encouragement. What persuasion. Get up and rise. And there is no greater, no more significant time for us to rise than in today's day and age. In today's day and age. When I first became a Christian, people used to talk about the end times. The end times, meaning the day that when God is going to come back. The end times. And as I started to grow as a Christian, I started hearing the terms last days. So we went from the end times to the last days. So we're not at the end times, we're actually at the the last days of the end times. And then I read in the Bible and I discover John talking to the, the children of God and he says to them, children, we're in the last hour. The last hour. And that was 2,000 years ago, so I'm assuming we're in the final minute. We are. We're in the final minute. And if God's calling a people to rise, He's calling them to rise now. Because there is no darker days than today. That's what the Scripture is telling us from Isaiah 700 years ago. Before Jesus. Arise, shine, for the light has come. And I think it's quite significant and, and, and it's quite beautiful because it says, Arise, shine, for the light has come upon you. The light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Now, by nature, by, by nature, by people, by default, if you like, we always think generally that Something always happens to someone else, but not me. Like, for example, uh, a raffle ticket. I don't buy a raffle ticket because I never win. Someone else always wins, you know. And sometimes it's not just the good things, but the bad things. Like, it always happens to someone else, not me. Um, someone's sick. I don't think it's not that, that's someone else that gets sick. Someone's diagnosed with cancer. That's someone else. Some tragedy. And we don't generally think that that's me. We don't think in that it's someone else that generally... And sometimes you think like that as a Christian. Someone else has got to be spiritual. Someone else has got to be holy. Someone else has got to be the real Christian, the real leader, the real person who has to follow God. Not me. I just, I'm just a Christian. I just go to church. You know, I just sit down and I just listen to God. But it's someone else's job. It's the, the priest at the, the front. It's the, the pastor, the minister. And generally, by default, that's probably, like a lot of you, how you think, someone else. And that's a big 
problem with your faith. It's detrimental to your faith because the light and the glory of God has shone upon you, you. In the history of the church in the in 1720s something, uh, the Church of England slump, slumbered. They, they, they became very lax in, their, in their, their, their faith. And so everybody went to church thinking that the person at the front was the holy man. That the only person that was required to be righteous or, or, or someone who loved God was the person at the front who's telling everybody to love God. And everybody went to church and they heard the message, and they went home, and they did whatever they wanted to do, and it didn't matter to them to live righteously or holy, because that wasn't for them. It's what we do as Christians. We go to church, the person at the front, he's the holy person, you know, he's the one who knows God, and he tells me about God, and I hear it, and it's good for me, and I go off, but I'm not required to be holy. I'm not required to be righteous. I'm just required to go to church. It's something I do every week. And there was a man by the name of William Law, who was a pastor, a minister at that time, and he was broken by this. Like, why is, why is the church so dead? Why is everyone asleep? So he wrote a book, then, in that time, called A Serious Call to a Devout Life in the 18th century. This book changed and transformed the Church of England at that time. A Serious Call to a Devout life, because it's quite serious. And in that book he says, he therefore is a devout man or woman who lives no longer to their own will or the way and the spirit of the world, but to the sole will of God who considers God in everything, who serves God in everything, who makes all parts of his common life parts of holiness by doing everything in the name of God. Because the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. It's awesome. I love God for that. I don't have to sit down in the pew and look at that person and say, oh, that's so beautiful. What a beautiful faith. What a beautiful life. Oh, I wish I was like that person. Because by default, it's always someone else. No, because the, the glory of the, the Lord has risen upon you. Every single person in this room who's given their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory has shone upon you. There is no favor before God. He's not a respecter of persons. If you hear his voice and you respond, the glory of the Lord is upon you. You as an individual. You who, by, as though there is no one else in this room right now, you, God's glory is on that. All the prophets in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, wrestled with the, the same issue. Why me? Who me? Moses. When God called Moses, Moses, what does Moses say to God? In Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. So the Lord said to him, who has made your mouth, Moses? Because he used his mouth as a reason. Well, not me. Your glory can't be upon me. You can't personally say, like, you, Moses. Like, why me? I've got an issue with the way I talk. And then God says to him, 
Moses. Who made men's mouths? Or who makes the one who can't talk, talk? The one who can't hear, hear? And the one who can't see, see? Who's the one who makes people blind? Have not I the Lord? Now listen, Moses. Go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you should say. Now imagine God did that to you right now in this room. And you're probably thinking like, oh, wow, imagine. Imagine he did that to me. (laughs) The problem with that is not imagine. It's what God does every Sunday. It's what God does every time you open up your Bible. It's what God does every time you pray. But in your mind, you're thinking to yourself, it's always someone else. Wouldn't this be a good message we hear on a Sunday? You read the Bible. Wouldn't this be a good message we hear on a Sunday? Rather than, Lord, wow, this is for me. I I fall in the same trap of telling you by by default. I I study the Bible and I read the Bible and I'm thinking to myself, wouldn't that be a great message on a Sunday? Hey, Hadab, it's for you. Wouldn't that be a fantastic message I can, I can share? Hey, listen, Hadab, it's for you. No, this isn't, wouldn't it be great for everyone to know how beautiful this passage is, how exciting this is? Hey, Hadab, this is for you. For me? Surely not me, Lord. Me? Like, I already know this stuff. I already know, like, no, no, you listen, you may know it, but the glory of the Lord upon you to receive it, to take it, to eat it, to digest it, to live it. So I've, I've got a problem. I've got to get out of this mindset when I study God's word. It's not for you. I've got to stop sermonizing. I've got to stop thinking how I'm going to express this to people. I've got to just live it. I've got to take it. I've got to eat it. And let the glory of the Lord glory. Let it light up. Because what happens? What's the next verse? What's the next verse? We'll go, we'll go further down. But it says the kings, the Gentiles will come to that light. So the Gentiles, the Gentiles are the broken people, the people outcast, the people outside of God's, God's word. They're the ones who are gonna come because of the glory of the Lord upon you. And you're gonna become, stand before kings, kings. And you think, really, kings? You think, yeah, kings, that's right. Joseph, he stood before Pharaoh and he made him royalty. And, and, and who else? Uh, Joseph, and then there was Daniel before Nebuchadnezzar, and, and all of a sudden he's become royalty as well. All these people, when the glory of the Lord shone upon him. Jeremiah had the same problem. Jeremiah, when he was called to come, and, and I want my glory to be revealed upon you, and I want to show you my light, Jeremiah says to God, well, you me? You're talking to me? I'm a young, I'm a young man. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Meaning I pulled you apart, I separated you. I I chose you from the world and I took you from the world before you were even born. You. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then I said to God, behold, I can't speak. I'm, 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 just a young, I'm just a young person. But the Lord said to me, 
Do not, you know, every time God responds to people who don't believe that God is actually choosing them, he always comes a little bit more aggressive. Don't say you're young. Who created your mouth? Who made you? Don't tell me you can't because you undermine the power of God. See, God knows who he is. God knows what he's capable of. It's like an insult. What are you talking about? I'm your creator. I made you. If I'm telling you to go, go. Because I know what we're capable of if you believe. That's what he says. He says, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. What do you see in common between Moses and Jeremiah? The same thing. Listen, I put the words in your mouth. Go with the authority of the Son of God, with the light upon your face and the glory of God. Go speak, because I'm going to speak. That's, that's awesome. The glory of God upon me. He chose me. Not Hab or Barry or George or, or Ray or the elders. He chose me. His light shone upon me. And if you all had that mindset, that mentality, every single one of you would rise up and you would pioneer a ministry. You would rise up and you would serve one another. You would rise up and you would do the work of God because God called you to do it. So the glory of the Lord, rise. You wouldn't be a religious institution where you sit down and you say, well, what's he got to say today? Let's see if I agree. You know what you'd be like? You'd be like this. You'd see me right here on the stage and I'd trip and I'd fall and I'd stagger and you'd see me as the worst sinner and then you'd say, hey brothers, let's go help that man up at the front. He's not any more special. He's not any more holy. He's a brother like me. All of you would be sitting down thinking, you know what our ministry is? Our ministry is to make sure that the brothers who are at the front are preaching the word of God sound and true. That's our responsibility because God raised you up for this. I have no problem with that. I tell people all the time, if I share something from the pulpit, I'd rather that you come and challenge me than sit down and nod your head. I want you to, I want you to wrestle out what you hear because you have the glory of God upon you. You have a responsibility You've got to guard your soul. You've got to guard your brothers and sisters in this house, in this room. Rise. For the light has come. And it's come upon you. Most of us walk around, like we read in the passage, of a man who was paralyzed and he was brought before a pool and he was on a bed, on a mattress. And he was carried around on a bed. That was his life, I think, for 38 years. 38 years, his, uh, uh, John chapter 5, verse 5 to 10, if you want to turn to it. We carry a bed around. That's what we do as Christians, some of us. We carry a bed around. Because the bed keeps us paralyzed. It keeps us in our, our problem. It keeps us asleep. Jesus told him to rise. You read this passage, he tells him to rise. Get off your bed, mate. John chapter 5, verse 5 to 10. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. He had a problem. 38 years. That was his life. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition 
a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? A very simple question. It's not complicated. It's, very, it's an easy response. For 38 years, he was on this bed. He had no, he was bound. Everywhere he had to go, he had to be carried on this bed. 38 years. And what's, what's, what's beautiful about the passage is that the Bible says Jesus knew that he had been like this for that long. He knew. How did he know? He knew. Well, maybe the father revealed it to the son. Hey, son, 38 years this man's been like that. 38 years he's been in that condition. Or maybe Jesus looked at the bed looked at his clothes. Maybe the mattress was stained yellow. Something about the mattress showed him that, mate, it's been a long time. Something about the mattress, whether it was torn or ripped or or smelly or his clothing, he's been there for a long time. And the reality is this, there's something about you that tells me that you're in this condition for a very long time. The way you speak, What comes out of your mouth? The way you act. Something tells me that you're in this condition for a very long time. 38 years for some of you. Some of you have been Christians for I don't know how long maybe, I don't know, a few years, 10 years, 15 years, but there's something about you, the way you talk, the way you act, your mindset, tells me that you've been in the condition for a very long time. And it's a very simple question. Do you want to stay asleep? Do you want to rise up? Do you want to get up? Do you want to be made well? It's not complicated. And you get the opportunity to say whether yes or no. Do you want the light of God, the glory of God, to shine upon your face that you may rise? Do you? And this is what Jesus asked this man. And this man says this. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But when I am coming, another one steps in. God, I don't have anyone to help me. I'm always relying on other people. I always want someone else to do it. And God's saying, but the light has shone upon you. Do you want it? Do you want it? It's not my job. It's not my job to convert people. My job is to speak the truth. You understand? But your job is to heed the word of God. Your job is to say, do you want it? Do you want to get off your bed? Your job is to say, yes, Lord, I do. I don't want to stay in my rut. I don't want to stay in my condition. I've been the, the, the beauty of the, of, of the 38 years and the 12 years and all these long people in the wilderness and 40 years and all that, because God really, in the end, he sees the Christian faith and he sees, I know that I'm going to have a lot of people who are going to come to me and they're going to stay in the same situation for a very, very long time. They're not going to change. They're going to stay the same people. But do you? Who hears, whoever's listening, do you want to stay like that for a very long time? And it's very simple. Jesus said to him, rise, it's time to rise. Take your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. And he walked. You know, a lot of people are asleep. 
honestly think. I was thinking to myself, you know what? We've had a conversation about a healthy church. What's a healthy church? What's a healthy church? And I'm thinking, well, you know, we've got a pretty healthy church. A lot of people are healthy. A lot of people love God and, and, and you know. And then a thought came to me. It was like a, like a punch in the stomach. The thought was this. You have unsaved people in your church. And it didn't matter to me anymore <laughs> what a healthy church is. What a, what a, the thought was, you have unsaved people in your church. There are people in your church who haven't given their life over to Jesus Christ. It was like a punch in the gut. I goes, oh, well, I don't care if I've got a healthy church or I don't have a healthy church. And I have unsaved people. What good is it if I've got a healthy church if people are still going to hell? There are unsaved people in this church. There are people who haven't given their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's my responsibility to make sure you understand the truth and you can make a decision whether you want to rise up from your bed or not. That's my, my job. My job is to tell you that Jesus Christ says to you, do you want to stay in your condition or do you want to rise up? Or do you want to stay asleep? Do you want to stay in coma? You know coma? Coma is basically... The longer you stay in it, the less likely you're going to come out of it. Do you know? You know, there's a story about a man, I think his name was John Carter. In 2008, he, went, he was in coma. And in 2008, the doctor said to his wife, your husband has probably got a 30% chance of being revived again. So the best thing to do is just to, to make sure he's at ease and he's, you know, comfort. Maybe play some music. So she gets these headphones and she puts them in his ears and she starts to play music for him. And the song that she plays for him is uh, uh, Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No. And so she put in his ears and she pressed the play button, I Can't Get No. And the guy woke up. True story. He woke out of his coma. I can't get no satisfaction is the very thing that woke him up. The irony, right? The irony, how Christians, the only thing that will wake them up is this satisfaction that they never get. The only ticking you do or the only time you come alive is when there's a satisfaction outside of the things of God but never really wake you up. That's, that's, that's how a lot of Christians are hoping to be woken up. They're hoping to be woken up by this amazing message, like some motivational talk. But Jesus' response to the man that was laying on the bed was very simple. Do you want to get out of your condition? And you get to say yes or no. And the, the obstacle, the hindrance to that response is simply this. Do you believe he's telling you to get up? You. It's very simple. Do, do you believe he's telling you to get up? And if you can hear his voice telling you to get up, then believe that he's going to rise you up. And he's going to tell you to get up and you don't need to stay in that condition anymore. Rise, go. There's a story of Peter, because he saw the example of the master, he knew the heart of, of Christ. He became like him in his ministry. And one day they called him to come to heal Tabitha, this woman in Joppa, a location. Now look, look at the story. It's a beautiful story. Because he comes and he sees Tabitha. I'm going to do a study on Tabitha. There's not much about her in the Bible. In fact, a bit of a plug-in. Thursday night, we're going to do character studies. 
I might start with Tabitha. Because those studies on character studies on a Thursday night, they're going to be studies of the anonymous hidden people tucked into the Bible that we don't hear much about. Tabitha was one of them. But anyway, she was dead in this city, Joppa. And they called Peter to come to raise her, to heal her, to get her out of her bed. So some of you, if you're wondering, well, how do I get out of my rut, my condition? Like, I know what you're saying. I, wanna, I want to, but I never seem to get out. I always seem to be stuck in the same place all the time. Well, look at what Peter did to raise her from the dead. Very simple. Listen to this passage. Acts chapter 9, verse 40 to 41. But Peter, when he, when he got there, in verse 40, he says, But Peter pulled all the people out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and she saw Peter. She sat up. When she saw Peter, she sat up. What did he do that's quite significant? What did he do that's quite significant? He told all the people to get out of the room. Get out of the room because all the people were a picture of unbelief. All the people were wailing and crying in and, and, and a state of hopelessness and a state of misery that this, this condition is, is, is the end of us. And Peter said, get out. What, what do we learn? Well, you've got to get out of your, your, your unbelief. You've got to rid every single thing that is against this very faith that says, I can rise, cast it out of your mind. You've got to be, you've got to be a, a determined, a strategic, motivated, enthusiastic passionate person when it comes to your faith. Anything that hinders the very essence of your faith, you tell, get out. I can't work under this condition. I can't work under the condition of unbelief. So Peter says, get out. You guys need to get out. And he shut the door and he knelt down at Tabitha. He knelt down at a condition that was dead and lifeless and impossible. And he says, Tabitha, rise. These are the words of God. It's the voice of God. He's telling every single one of you, who, you who, who is dead, rise, the glory of the Lord is upon you. Do you want to get out of your condition? Now I want to share something very beautiful in this passage, right? Because I'm going to finish soon. But I want, you, I want you to, so you understand that certain principles, how do I get out of my condition? Well, once you cast every unbelief out, Stop thinking to yourself, no, not me. God doesn't want me. No, it's not for me. Get rid of it. And then the second thing that you do is this. In verse 41, and this is a beautiful passage. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. What do you see here? What do you see here? In two simple verses. Tabitha arise in verse 40. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, what did she do? What did she do when she saw Peter? She sat up. What did she do? How did she sit up? She was dead. How did she sit up? Was it miraculous? 
Was it amazing? Was it radical? Yes? Yes. So what's required? Faith and faith alone first. You understand? Then what happened in verse 41? Then, then, verse 41, he gave her his hand and what did he do? He lifted her up. Did Peter raise her? Did Peter do it? No, no. What happened first? It was the power of God in their life first. Listen, this is a picture of the church. Listen, if you're coming to church for Peter to raise you up, you're going to stay dead. But if you come to church for God to raise you up, and as a church, we support the hand of God, then amen. Because that's what Peter did. Then he gave his hand and he lifted her up. Then he was an instrument to strengthen, to to define her faith for her. And when he had called the saints and widows, what did he do? This is the the church again. Then he presented her to the church. And the church would have done what? Glorified God. Not because of man. So God is calling you to be a part, an instrument in the power of God that what he has, he has begun, what he is doing, and then you come and you take the hand of God and you lift her up as well, because that's what we're called to do. Because God says, arise. And then you present the miracle, the power of God, the demonstration of the glory of God to the saints. And everyone glorifies God. Now who's that for? Peter? Or you, you. Every single one of you, I believe in my heart, 100%, every single one of you that walks in through that door, you are our responsibility. And the responsibility is this, that we need to make sure that you fulfill the will of God for your life. For your, not for me, but for your life. That's my responsibility. I need to make sure that that you are walking in the will of God and that God is revealing to you what you must do for Him. Because otherwise you're going to be miserable and you're going to be lonely and you're going to be defeated in this world. Because look what he says as we go through this verse in Isaiah. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, in verse 2. And deep darkness, the people... The deep darkness, the people, that the world is going to be black and dark and the people are going to experience a deep darkness. You know what the depression rate is that everyone in this world uh, will experience depression, what the statistics are on Beyond Blue? 41%. Almost one in every two is going to experience some form of depression. Because darkness is a deep one covering the globe. 41%. It's a, thou- it's a million, it's a million people over a year. And every day, nine people, eight to nine people commit suicide. Why? Because there's a deep darkness. There's the darkness shall cover the earth and deep dark- darkness the people. But the Lord... But the Lord will arise over you. The Gentiles shall come to your light. Because the light in this world is just a neon glowing glitz 
thing is going to, like it's going to blow. But the light of God is eternal. And the kings to the brightness of your rising. Oh my goodness, of my rising? The kings are going to come to the light of my rising? Well, that's what happened to the prophets. That's what happened to the people. That's what happens in, in, when, you, when you wonder and you look, what are the Christians doing up there in the, in the political parties? What are they doing there? Like, how, how is Billy Graham all of a sudden the sidekick to Bill Clinton or whoever the president was at that time? How does, how does a Christian end up being hand in hand, like Scott Morrison, a, a Pentecostal, ends up being the, the Prime Minister of Australia? How's that even happen? Because there it is. And the kings shall come to your rising. God knows what he's doing and God is in control. And if God puts his finger at you and points at you, and he's done, I, I believe completely, that every single person in this room, God is putting their, his finger on them. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here listening to this message. And you need to say, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I will. And cast out every doubt and take the hand of God and become that person of rising. Arise, for the light has come and the glory of the Lord is upon us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Stop carrying your bed around you. Seriously, like, why would you want to stay in your condition? Man, the greatest thing, the greatest thing is when God calls a person. Not your friend, not your dad, not your mom. When God calls you. It's the greatest thing. And when God calls you, you are the safest the most joyous, the most at peace person in the world. Because he's called you into the glory. So very simple, guys. Do you want to continue in your condition, whatever your condition is? I don't know, there's some of you who aren't even Christian. And if you're not a Christian, why, why, why would you want to go on without God? Why would you want to go on with the, 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 the various things that enslave you, your sin? Why would you do that? When God, the glory of salvation, knocks at the door of your heart and says, I want you to be mine. Doesn't matter how old you are, Jeremiah. It wasn't about how young, it was about your age. You know, whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter. Today, if you're alive and you're breathing and God is calling you, it doesn't matter. He's called you for this purpose, this season. You could be eight. You could be 90. If anyone in this room who wants to give their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, give your heart to him. Say, Lord God, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my rebellion. Forgive me for who I am and what I am. Forgive me, Lord Jesus Christ, and cleanse me and wash me and hold me. Bring me to you, fill me with your presence. And this day on, I want to follow you and serve you. I want to walk after you. There's people in this room who've come, who, who've come here because God brought you here. That's why you're here. And if you believe this and you respond to him, 
He can change your life. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there are some of you who've been Christians for I don't know how long, but you're still in the condition. And God knows you've been in that condition for a long time. But He asks you, do you want to stay in this condition? And if you by faith stand and say, yeah, Lord, I don't want this anymore, and cast every unbelief and every doubt out, you can walk out of this place holding that bed rather than laying on it, taking the very thing that keeps you down. Father in heaven, I pray for every person in this room. I pray that, Lord God, that you, only you by your Holy Spirit, only you, Lord God, by your words can penetrate the hardest of all hearts and that you could make clear the very things that we were trying to share that you would clarify for them in their heart and cast out every unbelief in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, Father. Cast every doubt, every confusion, every unbelief that they may hear your voice and your voice alone. They may come to you, know you and the power of your glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.